0: Well, if you haven't been with us, we are in the middle of the book of Titus. We've been studying the book of Titus. And the book of Titus was written to a group of people on the island of Crete, which is out in the Mediterranean. It's a Greek isle, the biggest Greek isle. And so one of the things that, or metaphors we're saying, is that this island represents the church. a called out people to this island. And so Paul is giving instructions. And the reason we're studying Titus is after we did the Sola series in October, we did the Reformation series, Jared and I said, let's do something easy. And Jared said, I got a great idea. Let's do the book of Titus. It will really be easy. The first, three, the first three sermons have been three of the hardest sermons I ever had to give. The first one, I had to talk about predestination and being chosen. People are like, man, I didn't like that. second week, I had to talk about elders and how they're male. Oh, no! Last week, I talked about hypocrites in the church, pirates, and how there's empty talkers, and that some of you might be infiltrating the island as pirates. That wasn't an easy one. And then we get to today. So, Jared, it's your fault, this Titus. It's supposed to be easy. Today, we are studying Titus chapter 2. One of the honestly... In this day and age, this is a verse you rarely will ever hear preached. I'm serious. And, but I'm going to jump in the waters because I'm, I'm brave that way. Now I'm daring enough to believe God and obedient enough to share. So if you can follow along with me, we're going to read Titus chapter 2, and you'll see what I'm talking about as we get into this very dangerous passage. Doug, this is dangerous. Lori is going to be mad at you by the end of the message. Starting in verse 1. But as for you, he's talking to Titus, he's saying, As for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Verse 2. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith and love, and in steadfastness or perseverance or hope. Verse 3. Older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanders or slaves to too much wine. That's the hard part for our church. I'm kidding you. I'm just seeing if you're reading along. You can laugh. It's okay. Not in the Baptist church, you don't. Keep reading, Chris. Okay. I had a great, I had a great Thanksgiving. I'm just, you know, let's keep reading. They are to teach what is good and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works and in your teaching show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned so that an opponent may be put to shame having nothing evil to say about us. Pond servants, another word for that, you could actually say employees, and I'll get into that in a little bit, are to be submissive to their own masters or bosses in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, meaning taking behind the back of the owner, but showing all good faith so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. The title of this is The Island's Ecosystem, and the reason why is Actually, from verse 1 to verse 10, what you're going to see is this is about doctrine, teaching to the church, and it's very practical. Practical in a sense of how we are to behave as the church, or how we are to operate as our very own ecosystem. But to get to that, let's just discuss what's an ecosystem. And if you ever had biology in high school, you know that ecosystems refer to how the world itself is designed and it works together. Sort of like the circle of life where you have, up here on a picture you've got the, f- the fish that eats the algae, and then you have the bird that eats the fish, and then you have the wolf that eats the bird, and then you have the bear that eats the wolf, and then the man that gets eaten by the bear by the tree up there. You see that man? That's one of our very own elders. He's sitting right there hiding from the bear up there but the idea of an ecosystem is everything has been designed has been designed to work together the definition of ecosystem is this it is a complex network an interconnected system that everything is linked together it's connected in the same way that we exhale co2 for the plants to inhale the co2 the plants get rid of o2 so we inhale O2. It's, it's kind of like it's been designed that way. It's pretty interesting. Even waking up this morning, the stars were out. It was beautiful. And the dews on the grass, which was frost, and that helps the plant. It's just, as a farmer can, is it kind of designed to work together? It's kind of interesting how God did that. That's the idea of an ecosystem. And an ecosystem works when we shepherd or steward it right. And we don't experiment with it or try to spoil it. So, and you'll see why this is so important. So I want you to grasp your mind around an ecosystem. Because the island or the church is also designed like an ecosystem. It is a network. And the homes of the church are also an ecosystem that are an interconnected network that are designed to work together with each person fulfilling their role and it's they are responsible to steward their role and not experiment with their role or spoil the ecosystem by getting what they want. And that's why it begins with saying, teach what is sound. This is actually in last week, we talked about how there were people in a church that were teaching that was really, was, they, were, they were empty talkers. That meant they just talked doctrine that was it kind of, floated in the air and it never landed. It was emptiness. This is just the opposite. Sound means heavy, substantial, strong. But it also means three things. Sound means it's a kind of teaching that brings health and life. Actually, in verse 1 when it says, as for you, teach what accords with sound. That word sound is actually the Greek word hygienic, where we get hygiene. It means if you live this way, if you do what is taught, you will flourish. You will be healthy. In a very real way, this teaching is to bring life to you. It's to give you life. It's meant to have harmony. The second thing about the idea of sound is that it promotes because when you live like this it will promote joy a lot of people are like well i don't like living like this i'm always failing at it it's not a this isn't a system to grade you this is a system to help you it's a way to manage or to steward your life so you'll have joy i mean really who doesn't want joy first john chapter 1 he says, I write these things so you might have joy and joy to the full. And this sound teaching is to give you joy, not to make you miserable. I think people view these statements as, oh, here goes God just wanting to impugn misery on me. No. And then the third thing about the idea of sound is it's pure. It's right. It's the way it is meant to work. It's in, the ecosystem works this way. It's the way it's been designed. One word that is very key in this, you'll see it three times, is the word self-control. You can find it in verse 2, for older men are to be self-controlled. you are to find it also in verse 5. The word is self-controlled for women. Self-controlled. And then you'll also find it for younger men in verse 6 are to be self-controlled. Three times that word self-controlled is used because self-controlled means to place restrictions on your freedom for the sake and health and sustainability of everybody else. For instance, if I just went out and I took my gun and I just shot every animal out there, I ignored the DNR, I I could exercise my freedom, but I'd be ruining the ecosystem. There's some uh, some companies in our area dump their toxins into the rivers there's a big problem in the Rogue River because they think they have the freedom to just dump their toxins in a river, but it's destroying the ecosystem. We have a responsibility to be self-controlled. You just don't do what you want to do just because you want to do it. Live the way it's been designed because when you do, when you follow like the DNR's recommendations on who to, what to hunt at what time, it helps the system work right. You need to remember that. If if you don't remember anything else, remember that self-control means I voluntarily place restrictions on my freedom for the sake of others. It's the key to the ecosystem. And people don't believe that. And you'll see what I mean in just a minute. And so Paul is going to give sound teaching, teaching that is going to be good for you, teaching that is going to bring joy teaching that is pure. It's right. It's right. We often talk about Christianity as if it's something I need to perfect to succeed or fail. And if I haven't met the mark, I've failed. But really what Christianity is, it's it's guidelines to help you nurture, kind of like how to farm, how to cultivate a garden. It's not pass or fail. Imagine Ken is a farmer. He I failed today. I'm done forever. No, tomorrow I'm just going to do it better. If you failed, it's not about failing. It's about making your life better. That's what these instructions are all about. There's one more word I want you to see. And it's also a key word for the ecosystem. The word is found in verse 6. And it's also found in verse... Let's see, where is it? likewise. It's the word likewise, but I'm trying to find it. It's in there twice. Jared, where is it? Twice. I want, are you reading? Three times. First three. Thank you. Likewise means. Listen to what likewise means. It is a linking word, linking one role to the other role, saying we both are responsible to make this system work. Likewise is a... It's basically an an interconnectedness word. It means everybody is included. We're all part of the system. We are all part of the system. You can't opt out of the island. Once you're chosen to be on the island, once you're chosen to be in the church, you're in the ecosystem. You can't opt out. Another writer puts it like this. Everyone who's baptized in the Spirit is given the same Spirit which means they are equal in responsibility and importance in God's economy. Both men and women are given the Spirit. That means they're both responsible to make sure this ecosystem works together in unity. So what we're going to do is we're going to discuss the four types of people included in the ecosystem. There's four roles. And see as I... Explain them. See if you can find which one you fit in. And so I'm going to say it's kind of like the Hollywood squares, the likewise squares, four of them. I do that so you remember because it was one of Bill's favorite TV shows. So here it is, see? First one we find in verse 2, older men. Older regards age. Men means, men, did you know the word means gender? Gender. hmm, yes, there is such a thing as men and women. There really is. You just have to explain that these days. Second one we find in verse 3, older age women. There's a female side to the gender too. Then we have in verse 6, actually verse 4, younger women. We also have younger women. And then we have, in verse 6, younger men. So as you can see, we have four kinds. That's one of Jared's favorite photos. But those are the four categories. Ask yourself, do you, are you, do you fit in one of those squares? And if you fit in one of those squares, you're part of the ecosystem. But the first question is then, and here's the toughest question. This is the question in everyone's mind. They won't say it because they don't like to talk about it. And Here's the question. Are you ready for the question? What defines old? How do you know if you are old? Because that is a word we don't use anymore. We're not allowed to use that word. Is it a number or is it an attitude? Because I... I'm always young in attitude. Well, wait a second. Probably a little bit of both in this passage. I'm not talking about how you feel. I'm talking about in this passage because when you see what, where you fit, then you'll know what your role is, your responsibility is. So I found some indicators that may help you to see if you are old. You know you're old when you look forward to a dull evening. You may be old. You know you are old when you have a party and neighbors don't even realize it. Then you may be old. You may be old when you consider coffee one of the basic four food groups. You may, well, I wouldn't say that's true anymore. Younger are kind of joining in with it. You may be old if you sing along with elevator music. That's a sure sign. You're getting there. You, you may be old when you refer to your knees as good and bad instead of right and left. That one, Arnie, is a good one. You may be old if it takes you two tries to get off the couch. You may be old if new recipes are something that actually excites you. You may be old about that. You may be old if you find yourself picking lint from strangers' sweaters. You may be old. I really, however, think if you look at it in this passage, old in this passage is more a situational position in life a situation, or a role you find yourself in, actually. In some respects, it depends on who you're with. And in most respects, it depends on where you are in life. Here's, you might not like this, but if you have children out of high school, you're a grandparent, and you're over 50. I don't like the last one. You're probably old. Yes. See, Bertha, this is the problem. This is the problem. We don't embrace our role anymore. And that's what we're going to talk about. For the ecosystem to work and to steward the ecosystem well, listen closely. Each person needs to consider three questions. These are very important questions. I am not kidding you. First one is this. Will you accept reality as it is? Meaning, we live in a world where people hate reality, and we actually believe we can change reality based on how we feel. Some people never want to grow old, so they never admit they are aging. To slow aging, people get facelifts, dress young, always go out on the town. Over-obsessed with exercise, take pride in acting young, follow the trends in clothing, music, or even popular media. Some people actually believe they can now change their genders, too. Their lifestyle roles. Everything now is up for grabs. Now we call society fluid. It's fluid. That means I can flow in and out of whatever I want to flow in and out of, whether I'm an LGBTQAXZ5RTQ. Can you imagine, in the natural scheme of things, if a bear decided to go against his nature and become a fish? Or a fish tried to run out of the water like a deer. We think that's crazy. We, no, it's not right because they aren't designed to do that. Exactly. But we think we can change who we are based on one thing, Feeling. I read this article where this guy, he's a white European male, and he feels he is Filipino woman. And he makes Filipino uh, foods and listens to Filipino music and wears Filipino dresses, and somebody says, you are not a Filipino woman. He goes, yes, I am. I am. No, you're not. Yes, I am, because I feel like it. And you're supposed to accept that. If you want the world to work, if you want the ecosystem to work, you must live as you were made. That's all I'm trying to say. If you want it to work, which means if you want to live and have joy and purity, live as you were made. What's very interesting, and this is going to take, normally when you preach, you take high thought and bring it down, but there is a very interesting thing that's talking about trans, it's an article that talks about transgenderism and really this whole idea of changing roles is actually adopting old Gnostic teachings. Gnosticism believed that the body was evil and the soul is good. And actually a lot of Gnostics wrote the, were around during the time the Bible was written. In First John, it says those who don't believe Jesus came in the flesh, it's from the devil. Because they were fighting Gnostic teachings. Because they believed the body was evil and the spirit was good. And it's the same thing. We think the body is this thing that doesn't really have worth in and of itself, the way it's been designed, but my spirit, what I feel like inside is all that matters so I can morph my body. And what, the, what philosophers say, this is Gnosticism. It's an old lie. It's an old lie. It's a very interesting article. If you want to read it, I have it. It's kind of heady, but it's saying how really it's just we live it, we've, we have reverted back to Gnosticism in America because we believe the body is moldable, where all that really matters is my inside core, which is actually God cares about the body. Everything to him is sacred. Second question, this is a very interesting one. Once you accept reality, second thing, will you acknowledge your responsibility? As we proceed, each group will be given certain responsibilities to carry out in order for things to work right. Some people don't like what God wants them to do, so they argue the purpose or think they can ignore what's being said. I'm not going to do what I'm asked to do. It's kind of like a fish saying, I'm just not going to swim. Forget it. I'm not going to swim. I've seen fish that tried not to swim on Lake Erie Shore. They're usually dead. (laughs) This passage... This passage does not answer why God designed life that way. This is not an answer to why. It just tells us what to do. Why were fish made to swim and not hunt? God chose it that way. And then the third question is this. And this is, a, this is one really for our culture. And you'll understand it. Will you avoid perpetual adolescence? No one wants to grow up anymore. In my personal belief, part of the reason why is because no one wants to be responsible anymore. But the word likewise that I've said is a direct statement of responsibility. To make it work, you must take your role seriously. So let's discuss roles. First role we find in verse three or 2 is older men. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. If you are in the category of older men, verse 2 is your verse. Learn it. I'm going to, in verse 2, give you a visual, and for the older woman, I'm going to give you a visual, and then younger women and younger men we're going to just talk about. But the key word for the older man here is actually the word sober-minded and dignified. Uh, King James would interpret that as grave we have changed that word really to gravitas. Remember when George Bush was in office and they said, does he have gravitas? And gravitas is a word which means a person has dignity, a reserved kind of dignity. And when I'm talking dignity, I'm not talking about Downton to have a dignity because I can talk like an Englishman, dignified. It's a kind of person that wants to be noble and good and respectable. Not to live like an animal, but to live like a person who looks like Jesus. To walk worthy of the calling you've received. That's dignity. Gravitas also has this idea of, I act my part. Propriety means I act the right way in the right situations. And there's an importance of manner that life matters and my role matters. And as you act that way, people see you and it will cause them to respect you and trust you. God wants older men to take this role of gravitas, of leadership of, in, in action and character. And for me, the best illustration I can think of is because when you say grave, usually you think of, oh, so i got to be a funeral director? Walking around in a three-piece suit? Walking in a church like this? Hello? I'm grave. No, 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 that's not grave. The best illustration I can think of is grave is when I went whitewater rafting in West Virginia on the New River. They had some bad rapids. I went in the springtime, and it was dangerous. I went a week after two people died on a rafting trip. I went with my friends who just, we all graduated a canoeing rafting class in college, so we wanted to go high-risk water rafting. And they gave us the best guide you ever saw. This guy looked at us before we got into the boat and he said, When I say paddle, you paddle. He said it like that. He said, We're going to have a great time. He was funny. He was hilarious. But there were times when we were coming by some rapids that were so dangerous, he goes, Right, 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 paddle, paddle. And he was grave, like serious. And then when we got through it, he was a lot of fun. There was one, I, I've told this illustration one time. He said, hey, does anybody want to have fun? And, he, and I raised my hand and he said, are you a good swimmer? I said, yeah. And he goes, all right. And two of us, he said, follow me. And he jumped in the water. And we had our buoyancy suits on and our helmets on. We start trucking down this river. I mean, the current is fast. All of a sudden, we get sucked down. And I'm being turned underneath the water for literally 20 seconds and I'm shot out, and you're shot out of the water, and the guide's like, Whoa, wasn't that great? No, that was not great. But the guy knew, he knew the river, he knew it was dangerous, he knew it was exciting, he knew the, the limits of people, he, he was the guide that guided us down the water, because he's been there before, and he's respectable, and that's what it means. This is the idea. Older men need to be those kind of leaders. They've been there before. They know when to warn and they know when to lead somebody to something that could be exciting in life. Why? Because a good leader knows three things. A older man knows three things. I want you to think through this a second. He should know God by now. And when you know God... You know He's the best thing. And when people are messing around and they could care less, that should make you a little upset because you know God's the best thing. We now have older men that are always trying to find things to occupy their time because they really don't know God. He should also know where He's going. If you're old, you should know right around the corner might be death. It's really odd for me. I got to be honest with you. I, the reason why this is hard for me, because I did turn 50 and I still feel like I'm, birthed I do. I feel young. But you see, like, you see a lot of people die as a pastor. And then you realize sometimes experiences in life, you only get one go at it. Like, my oldest daughter's married? What happened? Honestly, it's bizarre. I just don't get it. And I think as an older man, you need to stop living like a fool, chasing amusements and accumulating things while heaven is right around the corner. It's right around the corner. And then this man is, and this is the third one. Please think about this one. If you're an older man, by now, 2 Corinthians 3.18 should have been kicking in. As I behold his glory, I am being changed from glory to glory. That's why it says he's sound in faith and love and in steadfastness. Faith, hope, and love. It's It's who he is. Why? Because he's been transformed. For instance, I've been preaching now for about 20 years. If I never got any better at preaching, I hope I got better at preaching, something's wrong with me. If I've been in Christianity for a long time and I'm not radiating Christ, I was reading this book that said the problem with a lot of old men is they just become grumpy, angry. Why? I thought you hung out with Christ. So that's the first thing, and I'm hardest on that because they're the leaders, they should be the ones setting the pace. Second one, we get to older women. Your verse is verse 3. It's, it's um, very interesting, actually. It says, older women, likewise, see that word likewise, they too are responsible for the ecosystem. Likewise are to be reverent in behavior. And that reverent isn't just to husbands, but it's also to God. And the idea of reverent is this. That's, it's kind of like the gardener. The gardener that's been around... She's been around the seasons a long time. She knows that there's going to be storms, there's going to be cold, there's going to be rain in the spring. She's used to the seasons. So in a sense, the idea of an older woman, they've seen a lot of life, the ups and downs, has experiencing, and in those downs and in those ups, they've experienced the rescue of God, that he's really there. So after years of submitting to their husband's authority, but mostly God's authority, the reason you submit to your husband's authority is because you're submitting to God's authority. So after years of doing that, a godly woman over time has seen God come through again and again and again and again. And so like a good gardener, she knows growth takes time and cultivation. That's really what reverent means. It's Psalm 131 which says, My heart's not haughty. It's not looked up, but it says, I have calmed and quieted my soul. Why? Because I trust God. A heart that trusts God, trusts His timing and His seasonality. That's what reverent means. They are confident because they've seen both bad times and good times and how they're both used by God to make people better. So in some sense, when bad times come, they know this too shall pass. So we have then, he, he also tells them what not to do. So he's contrasting in the way the average Cretan woman of that time would live. They were slanderers and slaves to wine, which meant they just like to get with their ladies and just drink it up. And the slaves means they're not just addicted, they're in bondage to it doesn't say they abstain from wine. It says they are not slaves to wine. Some people who give up wine are still slaves to it. It means it doesn't have any rule over me. I'm not ruled by it. Not a slave to wine pleasure and a loose tongue. Not talking about others. And One writer says you can picture ladies in the island of Crete sitting on a veranda overlooking the ocean, drinking and talking about their rotten husbands and no good neighbors. That's not what a woman of God is supposed to be like. She's supposed to, first of all, and the whole idea of reverent, is to trust God. Trust with the authority that God's placed over her and also His authority. It's trust. Knowing I'll be okay. Even if I disagree. It'll, I've seen it. God has answered. Second thing is to have a heart to teach and you'll see that in verse 4, it talks about, it, I'll say it in a second, but they have a heart that teaches, not in a formal way, but the idea here is more person to person, lady to lady, older to younger. And then they train what they've taught, which means not only they teach, but they show. Verse 4, look at verse 4. Verse 4 is meant to be a seamless transition from the older to the younger It spills right, three spills right into four and five. In the same way, that seamlessness, that spilling, in the same way older women's lives should spill into younger women's lives. And this happens through relationship. Relationship is the training ground. I think personally, I think one of the reasons there's such hot discussion and argument for women in leadership is because this isn't done that much anymore. Like it used to be done. We have turned church into programs and upfront instead of people getting into each other's lives. We can show recipes on social media, but we don't really have relationships. Because sharing recipes online doesn't really carry the same thing as sharing recipes used to where you would go to the house and as you share the recipe, you teach, you talk, you cry, you pray, you share, you give advice, and you enjoy. We become a very isolated society, especially in this area, woman to woman, because they've been designed for this caring relationship. It's how they're wired. I want to point out three things that will bring soundness to the young woman's life because they're the next one. It hops right into verse 4 and 5. Let me read it. So it says in verse 4, and so train, meaning the older women are to train the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled. There's that word again. That means giving up my freedom for the sustainability of the ecosystem. Pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands so that the word of God may not be reviled. I just want to bring out three things and then I want, I've, I did an experiment this week with some of the ladies in our church and I want them to speak on this a second. Here's three things just to pick out. Number one, according to this passage, listen to this very closely. Might not seem like much, but it does if you let it sink in. Verse four needs to precede verse five not just on paper, but in your life. What is verse 4? Love your husbands and children. What is verse 5? Working in the home. So, loving your husbands and children should precede working in the home. What do I mean by that? Put your relationship with your husband and children before your work at home. Sometimes the husband and children become an afterthought to a clean well-decorated, new-painted house. The needs of their heart really are more important than your silverware. I've seen children shoved aside because home projects become way more important. And here's what I was thinking as I was thinking through this. One word many women have to relearn is the word need. Need does not equal I want. For instance... When I say I need to get those dishes clean, no, that's not what that means. I want to get those dishes clean, not I need to. Or I need to vacuum. You want to vacuum. Or I need to do another load of laundry, and after I do, I will spend time with you. No. What if they need you to spend time with them now? Well, do you understand? There's still some turkey on that plate that hasn't been... Scrubbed off yet. How can I have a relationship when the turkey's still on the plate? Number two, according to this passage, kindness, specifically in a home, matters. (laughs) It is easy to pick up a phone and be kind when someone calls, but once I hang up, where does kindness go? Kids, quiet! Quiet! hi, hey, honey, take that garbage out. I keep stumbling. Hello. What happened to kindness? It's still important. It still matters. Kindness always matters, especially to those closest to you. And the third thing I'd say is this. Listen to how it, verse 5 ends and be submissive to their own husbands. What I want to say is the Bible has a history of male headship. It's just interwoven throughout the Bible. The word submissive to your husbands mean you come underneath his leadership and protection. Let him lead. There's a lot of women who don't like it, but it is biblical. Actually, 1 Corinthians 11, it talks about as Christ is ahead of, over the man, man is ahead of the wife and God the Father said over Christ. And that word head has been kind of reordered by egalitarian women, meaning they changed the meaning to, instead of authority, source. But if you follow it in context, and in the rest of the Bible, it's not true. It's a, what I would call, it's a, it's a bait and switch or a shadow kind of theology or hermeneutics. It's not true. It literally means that God has structured the world in a hierarchy. So when Jesus said, I and my father are one. He's, he, they were one in essence, but he said, I do whatever I see the father doing. So, as I say this, I know a lot of women don't like hearing this from a man. So I will, so I tried something this week where I did this, I just asked some women to answer this question. How do you like, are you offended at, Titus too. I just wanted to hear from them. I want to read some of the comments. First person said, "I was an independent thinker when I was first married, because my hu- attitude and my husband's idea of being independent himself, and our home was so our home was in turmoil most of the time. Finally, Jesus got a hold of both of us. I was a very young Christian. My husband rededicated his life, and we made a commitment to raise our children to live for Christ. I had to make, I had to make a conscious decision." to deny my own self and trust the man God had given to me. God chose him to be the head of our home. When I understood that he was responsible to God for our actions and decisions, it became easy to submit to him. And then he was free to do his job as husband, father, provider, etc. He did his job well. I trusted him. But now he is living with our Savior in heaven. And I've been given my independence back. I am now the head of the household. For me, it is a sad place to be. My protection's gone. My wise counselor is gone. I am left to make all my own decisions. I don't want my independence. It's not all it's cracked up to be. At the end of verse 5, God gives us a reason women need to be submissive because submission glorifies Christ. Christ is my example of submission. He submitted to the Father. Wow. I didn't write that. Somebody in this church wrote that. Here's another writing. Somebody was very honest and they said, I've, and a woman wrote that, by the way, men. Much smarter than me. Listen to this. I've read this passage a hundred times this last day and this passage is hard, hard for so many reasons. I don't disagree with it. That's my disclaimer. I haven't been saved long. I've always known there's a God but have not known His ways and I'm still trying to obey them. I am very stubborn. I think that I know best. I have zero female Christian role models that have held my hand and have tried to teach me this way. We don't have the perfect jobs in our house. We don't have the perfect kids. But I do believe this passage needs to be taught, and yes, that is something I think a woman needs to follow. But when your life isn't put into a perfect little box, like, then what? And that's the point. It's not to be a perfect box. This is a aid To help us know how to make it flourish. Another lady wrote this, let me start by saying we are all older than someone. So this applies to all of us. We are all charged to be an example. I believe our society has done great harm to our families and marriages because of the rise of feminism and the way men and marriages are portrayed in most of our entertainment. Men are constantly made to look stupid while the women have everything under control, or the children are in control. Remember, a woman wrote this. The guy didn't write this. The idea of submission to our husbands is not only frowned on, but laughed at. And sadly, men have accepted this role reversal. And why wouldn't they? It makes their life so much easier. Isn't that a great point? It's an incredible point. What we need to realize is that God's plans always work. They are there for a reason. He teaches what real love and real submission looks like. He gives us the instructions for loving well. Most young women today have not seen their own parents loving well, so how could they possibly know how except for God's Word and godly examples? None of us are perfect or have all the answers, but we can speak into younger women's lives, even if only by example. I would have loved to have had the benefit of mature Christian womanly counsel in those early years. I felt like I was alone on an island sometimes in my young marriage. As for the part that says keep a good house, I don't believe it's talking about big, fancy, tidy, well-decorated, or even the laundry always done. I think it speaks to the balance and function of the family. Right relationships and proper discipline and loving well, all with the husband as the head. Christ is honored in our home when we love well and remember our individual roles. A lady wrote that. Another lady wrote this one. John Piper said, What sin did was ruin this harmony. Sin made men abandon servant leadership and became passive or harsh and insensitive and uncaring or some other distortion of biblical headship. And sin distorted the woman's support and honor into manipulation or defiance or helplessness or some other distortion of true biblical submission. True biblical submission is beautiful. Seen in this light takes away any offense from me, she writes. One lady writes this, We're a normal family that just goes to war sometimes. She's a military woman and married to a military man. Here's the last one. It's not that simple, you see, to take Titus 2, 3, and 5 without the context of Titus 2, 2. When I became a Christian, one of the first things I had to give up was my control. For the first time, I really entrusted my life in the hands of someone else, Christ. Wow, that was amazing. To be able to trust that I'd be loved and cared for, and not harmed, It took me a while, but I slowly learned to give up my control in my marriage, too. And that was pretty amazing, too. But I have a Titus 2 husband. I'm a pretty independent woman. I'm guessing I could take care of myself and my household if I had to, but I'm so glad I don't. I love being wrapped in his arms and feeling protected, nurtured, and cared for. I'd submit to that man any day because I know he loves the Lord. And he has our best interest in mind in every decision he makes. I can't think of much that we don't disagree on or decisions where he steps in and takes the final authority. Actually, I can't think of any. If he voices that he doesn't like something that I would like to do, I would not then go and do that because I respect him and he'd do the same for me. That's awesome. So what is she talking about, the tightest two man? That's the last one, the younger man. Ladies, before you feel what you are given is unfair... The ecosystem always gives men more responsibility. Read Ephesians 5. In this one it says here, Younger men, be self-controlled. Same thing, give up your freedom for the whole. Show yourself in all respect to be a model of good works. In your teaching, show integrity and dignity. So you're to be doing good things and teaching. And you're to be dignified. And you're to have sound speech that cannot be condemned. I want you to go to 1st, if you're a man, I mean, you don't need to go there, go to 1st Timothy 4, verse 12. And I've learned this, and I pray this, and this has really helped me in my life. And this is a way to pray. I call it the five fingers of prayer. Very simple. In 1st Timothy 4, 12, 1st Timothy is only two books to the left. It says, Let no one despise you for your youth, this is for the men, but set the believers an example. So we're to be examples in speech, in conduct, in love, and in faith and impurity. So there are five things. So in speech, and this finger, when I you know, when you speak or you point like that, you're speaking. So in speech, let your words be, be godly. I call them the three E's. You can hear it, you can write it down. Three E's, and be encouraging. Why don't you lift other people up instead of always having the biggest fish story? Empathy. Second E, care about people. When people tell a story, care about them. Don't ignore them. And then the third one is exhort. That means to help people become more like Christ, teach them. So in speech, so when I pray, God, give me good words to say. I often say it when I go to our staff meetings. Help me, God, to be encouraging. Help me to be empathetic and help me to exhort. So that's the first one, in speech. The second one is in conduct. I use my pinky finger because I had this boss that would put this ring on his finger and it reminds me of work because it's life. And so I just use a pinky finger for conduct. That means my life. And you know what? In my life, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Not I. Christ lives in me. In this life that I now live, this conduct that I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's Galatians two twenty. So in conduct, I'm dead. That's why I don't go to the bar because I'm dead. So I don't look at porn because I'm crucified. Verse twelve goes on and says, in love. I use my ring finger. This is 1 Corinthians thirteen four. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love keeps no record of wrongs. Love keeps no record of wrongs. Love keep. Man, that's hard. I remember when I was first married, my wife and i get in arguments. I'd say, God, here's the deal. If I go through all the whole list in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, 4 through 8, first, then I can yell at my wife after I'm done. It's a good deal. Love is patient. (laughs) I'm The first one I lose. (laughs) Love is kind? Oh, man. Then you keep going in there and it says, speech, conduct, and love, and faith. I use thumb for faith because there's some Russians that were atheists and they were sculptors and they're making a man and they made a thumb and they said, you know no other animal has a thumb that can invert like that? There has to be a God. So I think of the thumb as faith. So faith for me is just God, increase my faith. Faith is an acronym of its own. Father-focused, absolute belief, immediate obedience, trust in trials, heavenly-minded, but faith is God, let me believe in you today. And then the final one is purity. If you lift the middle finger up without the other ones, that's very impure. So, and you can understand that, so that's how I pray, is the middle finger, God, help me to be pure, and my thoughts, and where I walk, where I go, and what I say. So as a man, you're to be an example in those things. Do your kids see those five things? Or when you're driving in a car and your kid is five years old and says, hey, Dad, what's the Trinity? Do you say, I don't, I don't know, I don't know, go ask your mom. Or do you say, well, this is what I think. You're able to at least talk about things of God because you've been talking to them. So the final note, this is what I find very interesting in Titus. So we have the whole thing, and then he goes to workers. Bond servants were I'm not going to get into this whole issue of slavery right now, but this is basically saying if you're working and serving somebody, do it well. Do it well. And sometimes shut your mouth. Don't be argumentative. Don't pilfer. Do you like when you work? Do you kind of try to slip away and get about an hour where the boss doesn't see you and you can play cards and nobody knows you're out there? I used to work landscaping. They'd drop us off, and uh, I would just—I I had to pick weeds, and I'd pick weeds, and they'd say, "Don't you don't need to do that? The boss won't know." No, he's paying me. I'm not gonna steal from him. Why do we do this? Why do we make sure this ecosystem, why do we do our role? Because look how it ends in verse 10. You'll see it three other times, but verse 10 says, the reason I do that, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. The idea of adorn is a jewel set nice and fine. And the idea is if I do my role well, God and His Word and His way and His ecosystem will shine this is what it says in verse If you see verse 5, it talks to, the, to be self-controlled. Why? So the word of God may not be reviled. And why, man, should you have good words? So that they have nothing evil to say about us. To put, so we won't be put to shame. In verse 10, so that we might adore the doctrine of God. The idea is if we do this right, we do this right in our homes, we do this right in the church, people will say... Why do you? Why do you, Why? Why is your family so happy, and healthy? Things just seem to go right for you. You're so lucky. No, it's called blessed. It's called blessed, because God has designed the way, the world in a specific way. I'll just close in a story. I used to work in downtown Chicago, as a moody student, and I had to get a job, and I was a for some reason, they made me the associate pastor. I didn't know what I was doing. And they'd asked me to preach every once in a while. And for some reason, they wanted me to preach on women's roles. And I was really brash. And I said, and they were all these rich women working downtown Chicago. And they were, like, working for advertising agencies. They were accountants. They were engineers. And there was, I mean, they were high-powered women. And I was reading this book in 19... 19- Late 1980s or 90s, called "The Way Home" by Mary Pride, who was this engineer. That one day she's at her desk and she was looking at a project, and her little son walked up and said, "Mommy, when are you going to come home?" And she said, "Is designing a building more important than this human being?" And she gave up her life, her job, her career, whatever that means, whatever that means. And I was just telling this this church that I read that and I think it's great. This lady gave up a career for her kids and I said, my mom did for us and what a great life we had. And I didn't, and I just would say things. I, I'm much more political now, much more. And I'm telling, and then I had a semester off and I came back the next year and it was weird. Three of the ladies quit their jobs and they were pregnant. And they said, we're doing what you told us to do. I said, I didn't tell you to do anything, and we're going <laughs> to homeschool our kids, and right now, one of these ladies, her name's Leslie, Leslie was, she, had, she was the account executive for Tide, Tide account, you know, the soap company. She has four, she quit her job. They have four kids that they homeschooled. These kids are amazing. I remember talking to Leslie about six years ago. I said, I'm sorry I took you from your job. She goes, you're sorry? What are you sorry about? My kids have been the biggest blessing to me I could ever imagine, and it's because I woke up to who I really was. Now, I'm not saying you need to go quit. I'm not saying that. What I am saying, though, when you do the design, it really works. It really works. Sorry to be so brash. Let's pray.